episode is sponsored by Olivardo, who Barry and I have been fans of for years now. Olivardo are the world pioneers of cold-pressed extra virgin avocado oil. The oil from approximately 20 avocados go into each bottle. Olivardo are carbon neutral and will be carbon positive by 2023, which is very, very soon. They power their factory and truck by avocado waste. Olivado avocado oil is packed with all the nutrition from a regular avocado, so it's loaded with healthy monosaturated fats as well as vitamin E and other health benefits. It has a high smoke point, which makes it good for cooking and baking and so much more. If you want to order some Olivado avocado oil, visit olivado.com and you can get their amazing pressed extra virgin avocado avocado and lemon zest or macadamia nut oil or purchase them from Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Planet Organic or Whole Foods or many of your independent food stores. I'm literally obsessed and I cook all of mine and Romeo's meals in avocado oil. Um, like it said, it's the high smoke point so you can fry, bake, literally use it in any, any way you want to. I even like drizzle it on salads and make salad dressing. Mm-hmm. It just has like a really delicious flavor. Um, and it's a pantry staple in our house. 100% always stocked with Olivado. So if you want to get yours, use code ForkingWellness for 20% off. That's ForkingWellness for 20% off. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We are here with Paula Norris, who is an accredited practicing dietitian in Australia, also known as the Moving Dietitian. Hi, Paula. Hey, Barry. Hey, Sophie. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We're so excited too. We love chatting to other registered nutrition professionals because as Barry and I have seen, everyone kind of has a different way of practicing. Even Barry and I have in the past, I think we're probably more similar than we ever have been now, but have different ways and approaches when it comes to nutrition. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, and it's all about, you know, tailoring to the individual too, isn't it? It's like no one, no one size fits everyone, I think, but there are certain trends we tend to follow as dietitians, I suppose, Mm -hmm. or things that we (laughs) favour. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, yeah, I'm excited to get into all of that. But first of all, can you just chat us through like why dietetics? How did you get into what you're doing now? Yeah, I have been an accredited dietitian for 13, 14 years. Um, I studied dietetics. I mean, I love food as most dietitians do. Uh, I was quite weight conscious as a teenager. I think, you know, I remember... um, when you, when I first went to uni, one of the first questions they asked, they were like, how many of you are here because, you know, you're really obsessed with food and calories versus how many of you want to practice nutrition? And That's I think I probably at that stage was, yeah, at that stage I was a little bit of both. But I think mm. through studying dietetics, it really made me relax about food completely. And I'm very, very grateful that my study took me both to help other people with nutrition, but also I think personally it helped me a lot to really relax about food and eating and just take it for what it is, nourishment and enjoyment, really. So I think I sort of was drawn to dietetics for a different reason that I, I stick with it now, in a way. Um, and I think just just by nature, I'm, I'm someone who loves to be around people and I love to help people as well. So it just seemed like one of those professions that was going to give me that. So that's how I got into dietetics. And I started my Instagram page about six years ago, mostly because I was annoyed at all of the rubbish information that I was seeing on Instagram and I was I had a bit more time on my hands back then because I had no kids but I was like I can either do something about it I can keep whinging about it or I can do something about it so I started my page Mm -hmm. and 
um, my main focus has been about uh, eating for fullness, which I know we're going to talk about today in volume eating, because um, I historically have been very, very hungry person. People would always say, like, I can't believe you eat so much. Like, where do you put it all? Things like that. Uh, so I just naturally have always had a big appetite. Um, but I, yeah, I do a lot of focus on myth busting too, because I, yeah, based on pe- what people were saying mm-hmm. around um, or questions they were asking about approaches to nutrition and certain foods. So I guess that's how I got into the, into the Instagram side. That's amazing. amazing. Do you still work in a clinical setting or? I don't. I did initially. I okay. do some corporate work. So I do corporate and I do moving dietitian. Um, mm-hmm. I did work in hospitals for a while with motor neuron, a lot of motor neurons so and neurological type patients. So artificial feeding okay. I did a lot of, um, as well as, you know, I guess the general remit that you get with, with any sort of clinical work, weight loss, diabetes, et cetera, chronic, chronic conditions. So I did I did a broad spectrum back then, but sort of went corporate and now I'm doing online mm-hmm. things as well. That's amazing. amazing. I think it's so interesting, just really quick, when you said um, the reason we get into dietetics and like Sophie and I have spoken about this um, separately on podcasts, and I think we're all motivated for, you know, different reasons. Um, that's so interesting that they asked you that question because there is mm. that kind of like research that, you know, a lot yeah. of people go into the field because they struggle with disordered eating or you know, things like that. And I think that's definitely impacted the reason why Sophie and I have went into um, nutrition and dietetics as well. So it's just, yeah. it, it's interesting that they asked you that. Um, I, yeah, I, like I specifically that. remember the lecture actually, because it was quite confronting. It was like, if you are here for these reasons, go yeah. and talk to someone now. Interesting. You're, wow. It's going to be hard for you to help others if you have your own hangups about yeah. yeah, eating any sort of disordered eating at all. So yeah, I totally get it. And I've listened to some of your podcasts talking about that stuff as well. So yeah, I think oh, we're all, um, not all, but um, there are a lot of people that are drawn to diabetes yeah. because, you know, whether it's subconscious or conscious, mm. uh, yeah, if there are, is sort of that, um, I guess, concern or um, around food and eating and calories and body image. Yeah, I know very few um, practicing nutrition professionals actually who didn't have some sort of history of disordered eating, whatever end of the spectrum that be and and whatever that might look like. But I do think the majority of people in general have some form of disordered eating as well. Yeah, Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think the whole diet culture and all the information that is around on the internet feeds that really because... Mm -hmm. You, you can grab onto certain things, confuse, like it, you end up confused. I think, you know, as I said before, that's part of the reason why I started my Instagram because I was like, people were asking me questions that I was like, surely people know this, but it, people are so confused mm-hmm. because they just I get know. bombarded with all sorts of information. So, yeah. Yeah. And if it's yeah. not like their own level of like disordered eating, it's like their disordered beliefs or like you said, like just they, they hear something once and they, they uh, internalize it as like truth where it's, it's, and that impacts their decision. So it might not be disordered, but they're, they're acting on, you know, poor information or something, um, which I see a lot. But anyways, let's get into more of like, um, the type of work that you do with clients. I know you mentioned like volume eating, um, and Mm. you know, you having a big appetite. Um, I'd love to just hear a bit more about like what that what is that to you? And like, I was going to say, sorry, can I just really quickly ask Barry, have you ever heard of volume eating? I've heard of, and I think it's in our book or if it's not in our book, then I did research on it. when We were writing the book, but like volumetric diets, um, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, um, 
you know, high volume fruits and vegetables for like, um, just like eating large quantities. I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember if I included it or not, but like I did come across it in. Yeah. Cause it has like a little mention in my brain, but it's not something I come across regularly at all in nutrition yeah. practice. And I don't think a lot of our listeners will know what it is either. So over to you. I can Paula. talk about a bit of the background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you said it, Barry, the, it's the volumetrics approach, which I just for ease just call it volume eating because it's about eating for volume, but essentially yeah. it's the same thing. So uh, there's a professor in the US called Dr. Barbara Rolls who did some research around volume eating. Well, I think it was in the late, early 2000s, I don't quote me, but it was she did some research around uh, people being able to sustain their appetite, eat really, you know, quite large portions and either maintain a healthy weight or lose weight um, on the volume eating diet. Now, it on the volumetrics diet. Now, it can, when you look at it online, it can take various forms. So you can, like the, the book or the um, original research done by Dr. Rolls was also includes calorie counting now I think you can take part I've taken parts of the volume eating principles but I guess stripped it back in my approach with like we we're talking about before we have our own ways of practicing um, mm -hmm. and really taken the calorie counting and the weighing out of it so that we focus on high volume food high volume foods that have a low calorie density so it's about bulking up on those high volume fruits vegetables and then looking at what sort of portions to have as the calorie density of foods increases so that you can basically still eat really big meals, uh, not have to exclude anything, but just manipulate the portions to um, maybe get a really big meal but not go overboard with the calories. So it, you, can take, you can take it to the extreme, I suppose, and fully calorie count, but I personally don't think that that, mm. that personally doesn't work for me and it also doesn't work for a lot of people that I w I've worked with in the past not, and I work with now because it, it tends to feed that obsession with calories, mm. how much have I got left for the day. Like it's all consuming when they, you think about how much they end up. Yeah, I think about calorie counting is a full-time job. Oh, absolutely. Like who has time <laughs> for that? There's too much other good stuff to do, not enough. To, there's no time left for <laughs> calorie counting. So it's about I guess I started to really use it for people who – like myself, had a very big appetite, struggled to satisfy themselves, found themselves, uh, I guess, snacking abnormally or binge eating because they found themselves quite hungry. They couldn't regulate their hunger properly, but then had this inherent concern about eating big meals. So it's teaching them how to relax around food, how to fill their mm -hmm. plate or their bowl or how to snack in a way that allows them to relax um, and not worry so much about calories and certainly not calorie counting or macro counting I have so many questions Barry do yeah. you <laughs> yeah um and just like I think the think where I, I don't even know how to like initiate it um yeah because it's really a different approach than Sophie and I are kind of like um aligned to I just like want to like hear more about like how did the client, do they, I don't know, Sophie, you ask questions, so they're probably yeah, more Yeah, I have like maybe. a few lined up. So firstly, so in, I don't work with clients at the moment. Um, I haven't worked with them since having my son, but when I used to work with clients, I, I did do the intuitive eating approach. Mm -hmm. So my question would be that kind of satisfaction versus, because I, I, I saw a lot of clients who would fill up on, let's say, quote, diet foods, things like low calorie snacks. And I, that word low calorie stuck out to me. But then you mentioned fruits and vegetables, but 
what about those other low calorie snacks like the crisps things that have little nutritional value in surely isn't contributing to the satisfaction factor that we want our clients to reach so how do you kind of navigate that yeah and the main things that we talk about um or i initially talk about are foods that are high in water and high in fiber and that tends to cut a lot of those foods out when we start to talk about Mm -hmm. what to contribute for what to fill your plate with first so i guess like some people will say well isn't this just healthy eating and it is a way to make sure that you're eating adequate fruit and vegetables by focusing on those sort of low calorie density fruit and vegetables first uh, Mm -hmm. and then you know introducing portions of the other uh, more calorie dense foods but i guess what it doesn't that it also details okay which ones are the nutrient rich foods of those that you should focus on first like for i'll give you an example for example um a juice or a coke you know a a soft drink in if you followed the volumetrics or the volume eating way or the calculations in theory they come out as high volume because they're very low because they're very Mm. high in water yeah um, but obviously then it's an education piece around, well, yes, they, these might, if you did the calculations, not that I get people to do that, I give them a guide. Yeah. But if you did the calculations, they come out as a high volume food, but actually they're not going to fill you up because that yes, they're high water, but there's no fiber, there's no other nutrients and they're going to obviously um, cause issues with spikes in sugar, spikes in insulin, which actually could leave you hungrier sooner. So that I think mm-hmm. it's, important to not just go oh well I'm just going to have everything that is high volume it's really important to educate on what those foods actually look like that you should be using through the approach instead of um, taking it as oh well, on the calculator it looks fine um, interesting yeah I have quite yeah. um maybe like really deep question really quickly yeah, but here we go <laughs> Sorry, likes to get deep. Deep's fine. <laughs> I like totally understand. It's not like too dissimilar to like the recommendations that we would say, like of you know, especially like, the public health messages of like fill your plate yeah. with half fruits and vegetables and prioritize diversity and getting in your fiber and like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Different like plants. Yeah, and like yeah. that stuff that we talk about all the time, and like that's definitely encompassed in what you're talking about. How do you approach it from the weight loss side of people not getting obsessed and using this as a tool of disordered eating of like, oh, well, I'm just going to fill up on loads of lettuce. Mm -hmm. um, And like that is healthy air quotes and it's going to fuel my weight loss. I'm just trying to understand like the separation between like making it a a diet and fueling unhealthy behaviors in the long run and actually just being like, hey, let's fuel our bodies with like loads of plants and fiber yeah yeah and i I mean it is a ends up being a very plant-based diet but i think that's that's a good point because you don't want to just be like just eat all of these uh very low calorie density foods because actually you'd end up with deficiencies yourself and you'd be completely undernourished to an extent so the way that i focus on that to make sure that that doesn't happen is taking real meals so if i'm talking about like tell me about your spaghetti bolognese and here is how you could still have a really nutritious, we're not cutting out any ingredients. We're keeping all of the ingredients in there. We're just manipulating the portions of ingredients so you still get a really big meal. Um, but we're not saying cut out the, I don't know, I'm, I'm never saying cut out the olive oil, for example, like still using mm-hmm. olive oil, but how much when you're making your spaghetti bolognese, how can you bulk out your mince with 
some veggies, some beans, some whatever to, to give it that bulk so that you can have a big meal and the calories just naturally come down, I suppose. So I, the way that I address that is by making sure that it's in meals that people are currently eating, like adapting their favourites basically to mean that they've got more nutrients and, you know, more fibre, more water, and that that just naturally lowers the calorie density. Interesting. Essentially just... hiding, hiding some ve- veggies and stuff in our food <laughs> like we would for our kids, <laughs> doing that for ourselves. <laughs> and do you get people who are like really hung up though on the calories? Like how do you navigate that with this approach? I do, I do. I still get questions, I think, naturally from people about calories because when, um, even when I put them on my Instagram, I will do two meals and I put the calories side by side just to show the impact of volume eating. And I try and stress in my, in the caption, I don't promote calorie counting. This is to show you what impact changing the proportions of ingredients in your meals can have. So if people ask me questions about it, I just simply say, look, I don't, I don't endorse calorie counting. I think it promotes an unhealth unhealthy relationship with food I focus more on the whole ingredients and how you would build a meal or a snack to make sure that you're full um, I think that that particularly for me will focus a lot on satiety and I think to um, back on your point before Sophie on the whole intuitive eating there's a whole piece that people need to I guess be educated on as well in terms of mm-hmm. recognizing their own hunger signals because I think over time yeah. we tend people have lost the ability to recognize their own hunger signals so not everyone but um, there's a whole piece of work that would also need to be done there so that it's it's not feeding any sort of unhealthy behaviors in that sense as well 100% I love how deep we're digging on this because on the surface I feel like this way of eating could be so misinterpreted by so many people but I find it interesting you said you yourself you found yourself just really hungry all the time and you said you work with clients who said they're hungry all the time do you think there's like a genetic predisposition here? I know there's so much work that um, a, a researcher Giles has done on stuff like this, but do you think some people actually, I don't know, there's like this genetic deep, sorry, predisposition where their hormones are telling them they're still hungry, they're still hungry, and maybe this way of eating is more tailored to that gene. That's like a really deep so. research question. No, but. I think I don't, I haven't looked in depth at the research. I have PCOS and I think there's some hormone regulation that happens with mm. that around hunger. I have looked into And we know that medication can play into this as well. That's right. I personally don't take medication for PCOS, but I, I have, I think it explains a lot in terms of, um, you know, is part of it that, is part of it some other genetic factors that have meant that I'm more hungry, but it never, growing up, it never made sense to me why some mm. people could eat a certain amount, but and I'd be like, but I'm still hungry or I'd eat breakfast and then an hour later I'd be ravenous. So I definitely think there is a genetic component because I'm yeah so I and I think adapting over time and eating this way for me and for people that I've worked with has meant that they can relax and not worry so much like it used to bother me when people would say where do you put it all like I can't believe you eat that much mm-hmm. um yeah and it just I just don't care now I own it I'm like yeah I'm, I'm hungry I eat a lot you know I mm-hmm. eat well but I eat a lot because I am a hungry person <laughs> That's the thing. Everyone's diet looks so different. And even if, you know, us three all ate the same, we'd still look very, very different. So, Absolutely. And it's about, I mean, I, when you start to work with people, as, you got, as I'm sure you guys do, you ask questions about to really understand, is my approach going to be right for this person? Because 
if someone wants to comes to me and says I want you to write and I do get asked this I want a meal plan that outlines my macros I just say no because everyone wants a meal plan yeah I know (laughs) I mean I think they're so conditioned to it right like no one wants to take ownership for the health because for so long they've been you know regulated by whatever plan they were on and told to eat this don't eat that and when you strip that away and people have to make the decisions for themselves one, they're not used to it. And two, it's incredibly daunting because they've given that like the the diets and the programs have taken away all their confidence when it comes yeah. to like regulating their food behaviors and their choices that now they're they're forced with this themselves. And they're like, oh no, I don't trust myself. Can you just do it for me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and they're so willing to do what other people tell them as if we know their body better than they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the years and years, they, I guess people are, uh, have stopped listening to their own bodies because they're, as mm-hmm. you say, they've been following meal plans or reading, you know, whatever the latest um, influencer is promoting, I suppose. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get why people are looking for structure because they are confused and they're wanting, as you say, Barry, they want some confidence around mm-hmm. what they're eating is right. But um, I think that's with this approach why I talk to them about how they would adjust their own meals I'm not I'm like tell me your give me an example of something that's on rotation at your house like I don't know about you guys but I I wish that I could say that I cooked a bunch of new different things but there are things that hit our dinner every single week (laughs) especially since having my son he's 15 months now almost and I for him I try and increase variety if I didn't have him I'd probably end up eating more of the same foods but I want him to eat as varied as possible and it becomes tiring trying to think of all these different recipes totally totally and then before you know it your lunch is just like their crusts and you know what yeah. that's so, so funny. many I actually... scrap lunches as a parent <laughs> totally um one of the things that I wanted to touch on was just like um how does this play into like honoring cravings and like Mm. feeling satisfied um and like you know you know surely sometimes people are out and they're gonna you know that's life right like eating maybe like really less nutritious meals but it's serving a different purpose and um it's it's a social thing and they love it and it tastes good and it's enjoyment and like how are you balancing that kind of like i don't know what the right word for it is but like Like eating foods with yeah Yeah, like eating for enjoyment and eating for like volumetrics eating like Mm. how how do you approach that yeah that's a good question I think when people eat out a lot I will do some coaching around how they can make some changes when they're out like if they travel for work for example so they're eating Mm. a few nights out like they're, they're eating out a lot basically it's not just a once or twice a week and then for those for those nights that if people want to go out I'm like just don't worry about it because it may, it means you know having eating for volume at home um, or when you've got um, when you're in I guess not control but when you're preparing your own meals do it there where you can you don't always have to do it it gives you you know the flex to to relax when you're out as well but I think if people eat out a lot there are small tips and tricks like that are really that are really quite obvious and I'm like you know, if you're eating out a lot, try and swap the chips for vegetables or salad. But I'm talking about if they're eating out a few nights a week or if they're away or, um, yeah, away for work or whatever, I would I would probably coach them a little bit more around that. And I do get questions about that, um, people who travel a lot for work that want some, want some help. But, yeah. I think, but I think what volume eating does, as a lot of diet approaches or a lot of, yeah, eating approaches is you can 
it allows you to relax around food. I'm like, you make the decisions that um, you can make your meals as nourishing as you can when you're making them and then at other times not worry so much, I suppose. Um, there's a lot of... Re- so firstly, the majority of clients that come to you, are they coming for weight loss to start winter? I'd say the majority are coming for weight loss. Some of them are coming because they struggle with hunger or they struggle with mm-hmm. energy levels. They're probably the three that I get okay. the most. Yeah. Because the research tells us that, I've just put in quotes, weight loss diets, um, they have short-term success, not long-term success. So what's the research behind this way of eating in terms of like the longevity of the outcomes? Yeah, the the research, I can't remember the longevity of the actual study, um, mm. but I think because the changes are sustainable, they're changing their meals that they're already eating. It's not a strict meal plan. They can apply it to anything that they're eating whether they're you know at home in the office it means that it's more of a sustainable approach to eating in the longer term um i I probably couldn't quote i should look it up um and and share it back with you i have looked at it before Mm -hmm. but in terms of how like the actual years that these people were followed up um yeah it would just be interesting to get some studies and maybe we could share them in the show notes or something but um yeah i think for a lot of these weight loss diets, nutrition is not the focus, which is obviously where a lot of them go wrong and people you know, go down a rabbit hole with it. But I think like the main thing to highlight here as well is that nutrition needs to be the focus when you are thinking of like changing your diet for whatever reason, you know, maybe you feel like you are overweight for your body type or, you know, it's, it's health conscious, whatever it might be. But um, I think that's, that's also a huge misconception with intuitive eating is that nutrition is kind of put on the back burner and we just need to like eat whatever we want when we want to and you know as as we've just found out with volume eating there's like a lot more layers to it and yeah it's not for everyone just like intuitive eating is not for everyone but yeah yeah very interesting yeah. to I feel like we I could go on normal questions but, but sorry got, no no, no it's really interesting because I think when you I look at it as a whole what I'm skeptical of is just like labeling it as something when yeah. like you actually mm-hmm. like talk about it and like we've said that about intuitive eating as well haven't we that like you always almost need to take the label off of it. I hate labeling things because I think it it like um what happens and why I don't like intuitive eating and my my opinions have evolved so much um but it's like the labeling it as something and then it's like oh well I can't do that because I'm an intuitive eater or um mm, yeah. like disguising certain behaviors under the guise of intuitive eating and it's just like I'm listening to my body and I'm not hungry so I'm not going to eat and it's like well are you being like are you just saying that versus like I don't know yeah. but anyways versus um, actually listen yeah I get it because as soon as you apply a label to something it then yeah can I, I guess have negative connotations on the way that someone perceives something it's like oh well I'm on this diet yeah I I don't I try very hard not to use the word diet I think sometimes it still just naturally slips out Mm -hmm. totally Um, well a diet the definition of a a, a diet is just what we eat but like diet in so many people's ears is you know something that is there for weight loss kind of thing yeah we could say like a well-balanced diet or Mediterranean diets and those have really Mm -hmm. positive connotations and then it's like some of them have really negative connotations so it is quite interesting and if someone said oh eat a Mediterranean diet I'd be like oh well for some reason that label doesn't seem bad to me Mm -hmm. um yeah but it's like well 
what we've spoken about today is just like um, evaluating like hunger and fullness and just like increasing proportions of vegetables and prioritizing different nutrients. And like, again, totally not dissimilar to the conversations that we have. I think it's just like in the context of like, if you feel, I think the problem I have, maybe you can demystify this like messaging, or maybe this is what diet culture has done to the volumetric eating is like fill up on zero calorie foods. So you're full but you're like still eating less calories. Like something about that yeah. message, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't settle it. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. I think the, I think you it's the same as like juice cleansers, right? Like you can mm-hmm. take that and go, well, I'm gonna do that because it's good for me and it's detoxifying. But actually, what you're doing is probably not that good for you. Probably mm-hmm. can actually be quite harmful. More harm than good. So that's right. So you could if you take the volume eating or the volumetrics approach and don't get the right information you could then end up saying basically being on a whole food juice cleanse so you have to have the education around tuning into your hunger for one because if hunger is the main driver for why you need to eat large volume like me then it's important that you can recognize the difference between that and any other type of eating behavior um, but then secondly, then that education piece on it's not just about eating very low calorie density foods. In fact, you know, that should at the most that should be about, well, not at the most, about 50% of your plate. So it's the same as, you know, fill up your plate with 50% fruit and vegetables. But then yeah. how do we work on uh, portions of the other of the other foods mm. to fill up the rest of your plate? It's certainly not about filling your whole plate with these very low calorie density foods because you'd be undernourished. Um, mm. and that's unsafe obviously yeah. yeah but I get what you're saying it's like how do, how do you give people some and I have had this internal conversation with myself how do I give people that are very confused about what to eat um, yeah. because they've had a you know years and years of meal plans or coming on and off various diets mm. enough structure to get them feeling really comfortable and confident around food without feeding into that this is the diet and you can't stray away from it so you need Mm. it's about education and coaching around making this is a really flexible approach to eating that you can apply to some of your main meals you might not even you you don't have to apply it at every meal absolutely not but it it allows you to to apply a structure that um, helps you relax around food because your meals just naturally end up more nutrient rich yeah it sounds like there's a lot of mindset coaching yeah. that goes into this alongside and assessing like, the, the clients as an individual yeah and how yeah. because like you said they might have been through 20 years of on-off dieting um, and you really do need to assess each person as an individual and how they've been affected by you know everything that's brought them everything. to you yeah. yeah and I think that you know there are a lot of habits that are ingrained as well. I think that, you know, intuitive eating is one part, but then the other part is what sort of habits around eating do we need to, new habits do we need to form, you know, around, um, you know, it might be around how people, how hydrated people are, like how, you know, how mm-hmm. how do we create new habits to mean that um, healthy, healthy eating becomes easier because they might, you have years and years of, uh saying oh well I'm not going to have any carbs at dinner ever how do we mm. you know how do we reshape the mindset around being a bit more free around that and not being so restrictive I suppose yeah so really focusing yeah. on the nutrition that you can add into your diet that's right 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And there's ne- there's never a if anyone's telling me about a meal, I'm never like cut that out of that meal ever. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, let's how can we keep the meal really big and nourishing, but make sure it's still adequate in terms of your your nutrients, your protein, your fats. You know, all of that mm-hmm. is still so critical for us. So. Yeah, I think the education piece is so important because it, it can, yeah. like anything, if taken the wrong way without support, without education, uh, can be risky. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like 100%. if you found this like online, it could be really misinterpreted inter- misinterpreted, and someone doing it mm-hmm. on their own is probably not getting the quality of nutri- nutrition that they would be if they worked with like a qualified practitioner on this style of eating. Yeah, you need you need the support along the way. I think that's yeah, so important mm. as you're starting to ask questions. Here's what I'm doing to my meal. You know, does that sound right or does it sound like yeah. I'm not getting mm-hmm. enough? You know, just things yeah. that are, you know, might seem basic to ask, but um when there it's can be quite overwhelming when you're used to worrying about what you need to restrict, what you're not allowed to have, like how do you that's years and years of mindset around food that needs to be broken as well I suppose or Mm. needs to be reshaped in terms of um yeah feeling relaxed and comfortable about food yeah definitely I think I've always said this psychology just plays such a huge role in our relationship with food so definitely worth working with a practitioner who takes that into account yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more sorry one more question and then I I just wear a question (laughs) so if you could take over um (laughs) Where does protein come into all of this? Because we know that protein is like the most satiating of the nutrients. Like how do you yeah. manage the recommendations of balancing, you know, the the fruits and veg with the protein? Yeah, that's a great question. I do um, a, a lot of work mostly around people's breakfast and protein because I find that tends to be lunch and dinner. I mean, I obviously I work with a person to say, just talk me through, you know, what you eat, like, share with me what you're eating so I know where it's lacking but we talk a lot about protein distribution because yeah protein's the best macronutrient at keeping us full and I would say 90% of the time it's people struggling at breakfast to get protein in so we talk most because mostly it's a you know they might be having toast cereal um, you know yeah. depending on it, it tends to be quite sometimes you almost get so like those protein, 90s breakfast isn't it I feel like everyone yeah just needs totally to have yeah Vegemite on toast like maybe a black coffee I'm like yeah you're not getting any protein in there so that that would be and that I would say would be one of the main changes that people say is the biggest change for them because mm. and for me personally it was one of the biggest changes like I I don't think protein powders are a necessity but I love muesli so I use protein powder just because it's easy uh, mm. but you know depending on the person we talk about you know, protein-rich yogurts or whatever that might look like for them. Uh, And that, and then I guess that means that when they get that, they don't get that hunger during the morning that they're experiencing before, they tend to be in a better position to feel comfortable for eating for the rest of the day. So I focus a lot around protein at breakfast and and other meals as well, if I identify that that's a gap for people. But it's mostly yeah the 90s breakfast as you said Sophie that people tend mm. to people tend it tends to be people saying oh I'm hungry like an hour later um, what's that about yeah. so yeah we talk a lot about protein distribution but pro- get making sure they get enough protein at breakfast yeah and I don't think that's necessarily that's actually not really a volumetrics concept to be honest that's just something mm. I built into the way that I work because it's critical for 
satiety and yeah. people feeling full. So yeah. That's yeah, that makes on a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Um, especially when my boyfriend he used to like say, Oh, I don't like eating breakfast because like it just makes me more hungry throughout the day. And I was like, No, it doesn't make you more hungry. You're just having like sugary cereal and then you're having like an insulin spike and then a crash. Yeah. Your body's that's right. Like, this is happening. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's like such a myth I used to hear all the time when I was like working with clients of like, oh, well, like once I start eating, I can't stop. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that's not your metabolism turning on like weird yeah. phrases people used to say. And it's like, oh, well, actually just like, what are you eating? <laughs> Where is yeah, your breakfast? Yeah. Let's talk about what's in the breakfast and then, yeah. <laughs> and people still like even will have a huge bowl of cereal and milk and I'm like, just, you know drop the cellar a bit and ha- add some fruit and then add a bit more protein somehow yeah. and it's just you end up still having a really big breakfast but again it's more balanced so mm-hmm. yeah does your boyfriend still get hungry after breakfast or is he having more protein he's having more protein actually interesting because um, this is quite like like not controversial but I guess a lot of uh practitioners have different opinions but he has a Huel every morning I don't know if you have oh, yeah. that in Australia but it's like a it's like a meal replacement shake. Mm-hmm. Shake. I think someone's asked me about it once, and we don't have it here, I don't think. Um, but I remember Googling it. Someone from the UK asked mm. me about it. Yeah. Yeah. What is, is it? Is it a low carb shake? Or what is it? I think it is like lower carb. I don't think it's like okay. low, low carb. But yeah. like, I think for him, it's either like he has that on the tube into work or he yeah, doesn't for lunch. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's an amazing alternative for someone who's in that situation because he's getting his protein, it has fiber, it has all the nutrients that he needs. But I still think like a food first approach is best. But like for him, that's not an option in his like yeah. and time. So like, I think, again, it's like a personalized thing. Everyone's different. Would I recommend everyone go take one of those type of meals like absolutely not but like for his situation I think it's great and I think like a lot of people because I have like they send you a lot of like their marketing is quite good like they send you like a water bottle and like a t-shirt and so like I use the water bottle loads and um I used to get like people ask me all the time oh but you're a dietitian like you endorse Huel and I'm like I'm it's my boyfriend's water bottle like yeah, Don't. I just want the free water. Bottles. I'm just, yeah. I'm just trying to drink some water. <laughs> I'm just trying, yeah. I'm just but trying like, to be I think hydrated. Those like assumptions being like, oh, that means yeah. that you endorse that, and what does that mm-hmm. mean? I'm like, oh god, I need to black put some tape on the water bottle because I can't. Yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of judgment though, isn't there? But I, I, I think that's yeah. like as dietitians, you get a lot of judgment. But I think people just mm-hmm. generally judge. A food is one of the things that is. Yeah, I'm speaking to the yeah. converted here, but it's such a it's a universal thing. So that's there's it's almost one of the things that people are most judged on, which is really sad because yeah, you know, it takes away from the premise of what food is about, is you know, yeah, making definitely. us good, keeping us healthy and mm-hmm. um, and enjoyment. So yeah. And I I yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Barry. It has to be convenient for the person. So if there's something out there yeah. that means that they're gonna have something that gives them some good nutrition rather than just being like, oh, I'll just have a black coffee in the morning and that's it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Then go for it if it works for them. It just needs to be consistent in their life. Like if I made him breakfast every morning, like would he eat it? Yeah, but like that's not sustainable. Like, mm-hmm. No. Yeah. 
breakfast every morning. Mostly from your point of view. No. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I said I was done with questions. I have one more question. Um, You you said you have uh, children. How how do you approach like this style of nutrition educating like around children with not making it about the calories, but like, I just like interested to hear um, how this kind of translates into your home nutrition life, if that's not yeah. too much of a personal question and you don't know. No, that's totally it. fine. I don't, I don't really talk to them. I, I, they're only four. So we, there's not a lot of conversations that happen about food or calories. Nutrients, I just, we yeah. talk about things like, you know, um, that's going to give you energy. That's going to give you big muscles, mostly to encourage the variety because, you know, like tonight it was like, oh, I don't want any meat. Like for some reason they just don't love to eat meat that much. So we try and tell them about the other benefits of food, very simple benefits in a way um, to get them to eat. But also there's no demonization of food in our house. Like we have, they have biscuits, they have chocolate, like same as I did when I was a kid. There's not mm. um, nothing that's really off limits. I'm just very, very cautious with the terminology um, yeah. of what I, what I use around them with food as I'm sure you will be as well so mm-hmm. if when your little one gets to start to understand a, bit, a little bit more so it's yeah I, I think I try my best to not really talk about it at all and just make it fun yeah. and talk about like how how good it is to have different foods because you, your tummy loves it or it gives you big muscles or you know gives yeah. you lots of energy to run around or you know I use stuff like that yeah um, definitely because yeah. I think we yeah. came from a generation where it was literally like, don't eat that because it's bad for you or you're going to put on weight if you have that slice of cake. So yeah. I think we're so conscious. I hope a lot of other people are conscious now that we don't want to put that onto our, our kids. Yeah, totally. And then the whole, you know, you, you need to eat all of your dinner, like before you have need to eat all mm. the food before you leave the table. That still, like that still comes up um, when we're at family events. And I'm like, if they're full, they're full. Like if they don't, yeah, 100%. they're so in tune with their, their hunger signals at that yes. age and they are. Um, I would love it if they grow up and they're able to keep that, you know, um, unlike probably what's happened um, for mm-hmm. us over the years. So, yeah, I guess that's my approach. But I, I would say I probably haven't had to worry about it too much yet because they're still quite little. But I think I'll, I'll really have to think about that as they get older. But, you know, I eat chocolate. Yeah. I eat risk, like There's still a lot of that mm. stuff that I eat. I'm never not eating things in front of them. So, yeah, I just try and normalise all foods as much as possible. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, they definitely, really... they definitely got they my, gen- my oh genes my on the hunger. Yeah. I honestly, like Romeo will have like an actual, like the same size porridge bowl as me. Like, I don't know where he, I actually don't know where he puts it all. <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? I always, it still amazes me. I'm like, wow, like good on them. I was like, clearly yeah. you are just I'm, burning yeah, no, that I'm off. Like, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. 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 They do. It's good. Good appetite. <laughs> yeah definitely uh well I've learned a, a lot I feel like I now have a very different opinion on body meeting than I did when I before we recorded yeah well, I'm same. glad that I've been able to help um yeah, yeah. Bit, just understand what it is and as you guys said like it's not not for everyone there is um definitely people that do struggle with hunger and and or they want to mm. lose weight that I would I would tend to to talk to most about this that it's that it's most appropriate for but yeah it's not for everyone like anyone. yeah and I think just think about what's right for yeah them. I was just gonna say just add a little disclaimer um you know we've spoken about so many different 
diets or ways of eating on this podcast and not all of them are going to be right for everyone um like I said same with intuitive eating you know like we said at the beginning so many different nutritional professionals have so many different approaches to the ways in which we should or shouldn't or can or can't be eating so um yeah just take everything you hear online with a pinch of salt and if you do need that personalized nutrition it is so important that you do try and work closely with a nutrition professional so that you can get your specific needs met absolutely yeah could not agree more amazing so where if people want to learn more about what you do or follow you along where where can they go see what you're doing they can go to instagram at moving dietitian and then if they want to know i've got a heap of information about volume eating on my website which is www.movingdietitian.com.au um but yeah i uh, instagram's probably the place i hang out the most amazing yeah. We'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. And just thank awesome. you so much, especially with the time difference, to take the time out of your evening. Yeah. Um, and and with kids. Thank you for well. having me. Oh, they're asleep. Thank goodness. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> never know. I was like, there is a small chance there could be a little human walking into the background. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks well, thank for having me. So I enjoyed the chat. Yeah, us too. Thank you, Paula.